Talk Zone presents Two Guys and a Mic, your mid-morning break sports talk show. It's a passionate yet lighthearted look at the world of sports, featuring the coach, John Cohn, and the big dog, Joel Radwanski. They'll recap the games from yesterday, look ahead to the matchups tonight, and cover a lot more in between. Now, Two Guys and a Mic on TalkZone.com. And welcome everybody, two guys at a mic show, talkzone.com. It's MLK, Martin Luther King Day, a lot of people off of work, a lot of kids might be listening to the show, i got to warn our uh, co-host, Joel, the big dog, Ranwanski, you can get the slightly off color at particular times, a reminder to Joel that there are many kids listening today that would normally otherwise be in school. So happy Martin Luther King Day to you and yours, and please keep your hands off mine. The coach and the big dog with you right up until 11 o'clock, reviewing four football games from the weekend. We're down to the final four in the NFL. It's not the four we expected, but they're right there for you. We'll talk a little Bulls basketball as well and some Martin Luther King Day things. Uh, David Olson, our producer, other side of the glass. Two guys in a bike show another day, another week, another month, another year is off and running. Asked David Olson Joel for a little Martin Luther King Day special music, and he asked, what would you request? The only thing I could think of was, we shall overcome. But uh, any Martin Luther King Day music you'd like to hear, Big Dog? Pride in the Name of Love by YouTube. period. It's not bad. That's not bad. I like that concept. How are you, my friend? I haven't seen you all weekend. I haven't talked to you. Uh, I'm assuming you are good. You went 3-1 and one on Beat the Schmo. You were a half a point away. From having a perfect prediction weekend, I'm proud of you. Yeah, that's uh, you know you kept giving me crap. I had a couple half point wins earlier, and I, now I keep losing by half a point. But you know the the NFL playoffs, those lines are so perfect. You, I thought one or two of those, I was like, I was either going to win or lose a game by a half a point mm-hmm. because like, when there's only four games and there's so much emphasis and focus on it, they usually get those points spread. Perfect. So, yeah, I wasn't shocked that I lost the game by half a point, Coach. I'm not even disappointed. It's pretty impressive. Uh, I thought the Ravens, you know what, to be honest with you, when I look back, the Ravens should have covered because of bad decisions. They didn't. And because they couldn't get a goal, a fourth and one from the, what, the half-yard line, they couldn't make that, they didn't deserve the cover. So I don't feel bad about it whatsoever. It was a good, good weekend. Big Dog picked San Francisco over New Orleans. You had New England in the route over Denver. You had the Giants over Green Bay. You took Baltimore over Houston, the point spread. And we talked about it on Friday. Don't, you know, there were a bunch of games with the dreaded half a point, and you got to figure one of those games, that half a point, was going to come into play, and uh, Houston did Covered by the dreaded half, but still three and one, and you continue on your merry way. Uh, beat the Schmoes, Big Doug. You are, uh, to say the least, on a momentum roll. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I, I do. Let me think. I, I'm 35 and 25 on the season, which is pretty. That's really good. So that's like uh, that's 58.3 percent, Coach. That's not bad. Let me just read it. It's, it's better than not bad. It's outstanding here. But uh, the fi- the last like eight or nine weeks. Again, folks, against the point spread. It's a game we play each and every Friday here. Other shows play Beat the Pros. We hear the two guys in a mic show play Beat the Schmoes. And we're damn proud of being Schmoes. I think I can speak for the big dog on that. Uh, all right. Two and one. Two and one. Two and one. Three and oh. Two and one. This is against the point spread, folks. Two and one. Two and one in 0 and three blip two weeks ago. 
And all those losses three. were a half a point. Remember, there was like a total of like a point and a half I lost those three games. Stop by. making excuses. Four. It's not becoming of you. And then okay. after the 0-3 blip, you went 2-1, and 3-1. and So that is a 1-2-3-4-5-6-7-8, 9-week stretch. We're not talking a hot three or four weeks, folks. A nine-week stretch where you have won eight of the nine weeks, Big Dog. Highly impressive. No, I'm going to pat myself on the back. But I know David Olson had a rough week this week, but he's had a phenomenal year. I will say this, Coach. David, by the way, is patting himself, but it's not the back right now. That, that's my joke, Coach. Yeah, thank you. Now, well, at the beginning of the year, I spent all my weekends not watching football. I spent them on the river uh, telling people, uh, you know, regaling them with stories of the city of Chicago. <laughs> so, you know what I'm saying? It's like the last nine weeks, I've actually been watching football. So I, I will have to say that does help a lot when you can actually watch the games and actually get a feel for the team, as opposed to, oh, uh, that team played well last week. I'm going to bet against them this week because that's yeah. typical human nature. And that's what I was doing early on in the year, yes. which I was going like 50% on doing it that way. You're exactly right. But uh, be careful you go the opposite way, too, because, you know, if you watch too much, and you overanalyze. I think you learned this lesson in your younger life, but a lot of young Wait, kids listen. I've never learned this lesson. I can't watch enough football. So no, no, no. That's not what I was talking about. You're always wrong. That's... The more I look at the game, the better chance I have of figuring it out. But not overanalyze. Uh, well, over the yeah, no, I totally agree. It's it's really okay. simple. I, I think about which team has healthy defensive line, and which team. I mean, it's it's really I go like that. Which team has a better defensive line? Which team has better quarterback play? Which team has a coach that won't make horrible mistakes like Mike McCarthy made yesterday? Oh my goodness. I cannot believe the Packers made like in this, if this year, like 40 oh my goodness mistakes, which is the least in all of football. They committed 25 of them in yesterday's ball game, coach. Uh, so it's, as they, that's what you got to look for when you're doing all this gamble stuff. Whatever, coach. Now let's talk some real football. Forget about our picks. I, I cannot believe in the last game that we saw yesterday that the Packers played that poorly in their playoff game. You're talking about a team that was hitting on all cylinders for, I know they had a blip in Kansas City, that happens, but they played great all season long, and then they go into a playoff game, seven drop passes, three fumbles, all those turnovers. Mike McCarthy with some of the stupidest decisions I've ever seen a coach make, and you're talking about one of the best coaches in all of football, he laid an egg yesterday to not punt the ball down seven when you're on the other team's 45 on a fourth and five and your offense hasn't been moving the ball all game. Oh, my goodness. I was I, just like, you just handed the Super Bowl away. Were they not down 10 at the time? It was it was 20 to 13, and it was 12 minutes to go in the game, and they went for it. They didn't get it, and guess what? The Giants ended up kicking like a, a field goal right after mm -hmm. that and made it 23-13. And at that point, you're like, oh, no, this game yeah, is over. Yeah, but you just said 23-13. It was 20-13 to 13 right. when they went for it. It oh, was They were down seven. Okay. How do you go? I, I, it was the stupidest decision I've ever seen in a playoff by a coach. Nah, that's, you're, you're getting caught up coach, in the emotion a little bit. That, it was, that's fourth not the, and six. It was fourth and six, and their offense had not been able to drop back and throw a ball successfully for a first down well, like they typically do. You're still talking Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packer offense. It wasn't the worst decision. You're getting a it little overly emotional. It was fourth and six, coach. Huh? It was fourth and six. They were only down seven points. That is 
I got, I got to go back in the tape because unless there were two fourth and five gambles, I remember that one, and I, I remember it as a 10-point lead and more like nine or ten minutes left, and I thought, you know, interesting gamble, but I thought at the time it was a good move. But you're saying seven-point lead, 12 minutes left. In that yeah. case, if you are correct and you are not drinking too much of the foreign martini, uh, then I would tend to agree with you. But I, I could have sworn drank, it was a 10-point lead. I drank one time in the last – six days and that was How? just during the Tebow uh, New England game and I well, needed a drink just to yeah. get through that one. Every everybody. Even the young kids that are listening to this show, if you were watching that game, I would have, you know what, I know the drinking age is twenty one, I would have wiped it out for one night. You yeah, it was funny I was hanging with a lot of people that knew nothing about football, but they knew Tim Tebow. And I was like, there's no way he would. They're like, wow, that's impossible. It's Tim Tebow. About 10 minutes in, they're like, how did you know it wasn't that difficult, people? There's a reason why people, like, I can't explain why he's any good is because he's not that good. Well, let's not blame just Tim Tebow. It wasn't Tim Tebow's fault. He got all the credit credit this whole year. So I'm not going to blame the defense for playing, not getting a pass rush and playing horrible pass defense. See, they not they didn't get any credit when they were dominating seven out of eight games. It was all Tim Tebow's late heroics. I'm going to blame all the blame on Tim Tebow well, yesterday. Okay, the 35 can, point loss was completely his fault. You can do that, but in defense of Tim Tebow, it wasn't Tim Tebow that was uh, bringing all the publicity onto him. That was all the media and you know the bloggers and the Facebook and all that stuff. So don't blame him for that. It wasn't like he was you know pulling a Terrell Owens and trying to bring it all on himself. I, I actually think the guy's a robot, and they have. They like make sure he doesn't say anything but like stuff that is humble. So it's like it really is humbleness for uh, popularity sake. Mm-hmm. I just want to thank all my teammates for and the fans. I, I'm it's like ridiculous, coach. I'm I think am I the only one that sees the guy as he actually knows the type of like media machine he is. I mean, has he ever mm-hmm. said anything? Tell me the only thing he ever really has said. It was still pretty cool because it's the speech when he came out after a loss and he did the whole. I, I, after in Florida when they just lost to Mississippi, we will, you'll never see a team play as hard as us and all that other stuff. So mm-hmm. besides that, I don't think he's ever said anything. So I'm just kind of, it's, oh, he's so humble. No, he's humble because he's just trying to act humble. Okay. Uh, you've, you've, I'm surprised you've reached that, that sordid and jaded view of well, Tim I'm just, Tebow. I'm kind of, I, I don't know. I'm just kind of, there's just something lately over the last couple yeah. like interviews that he's had and it's just, I don't know. Uh, maybe he's like yeah, the, smirking when he says it. Like I, I want to thank all my teammates, and he's kind of like smirking when he says it. No, you you just you know you just hit a three hundred sixteen yard game. Maybe, but the other way of looking at it, Big Dog, is is it possible that we've all become so jaded in this day and age of professional and collegiate athletes and the media and egotistical? Are we so jaded that finally some kid comes around who's actually a, a pretty good guy? Pretty normal guy, says the right things, and we're so jaded now to think, oh, there must be something behind it. He can't really, you know, be that good of a guy. Oh, he's making those comments just so he sounds good. Just just throwing it out there. Maybe we've become okay, so jaded yeah, that we maybe. can't appreciate that. I, I can I can accept that. I can okay. accept you saying that. Right. You know what? I don't want to spend the day talking about Tim Tebow. Let's uh good. let's move on to the games. Uh, let's let's start uh, let's start at the very beginning. Uh, it almost seemed like eons ago, but maybe the best game of the four. Maybe the best game of the four was the first one Saturday. Phenomenal finish. Let's put our phone number out there. Folks, you want to chime in on the uh, four games, we'd love to hear from you. 888-463-6748, I was so excited, Big Dog, about the games Friday night. 
Another disturbing dream. You ready for this one? Uh-oh. Actually, uh, yeah, Friday night, anticipating Saturday's matchup. Woke up. It was kind of a good news, bad news. Because I woke up, uh, you know, the dream, and I only have faint memories, but I was in some kind of romantic endeavor with Pam, Pam Oliver. But the problem you know, was Tony Siragusa was doing the sideline reporting. That's, that, Woo. that's disturbing. Wow. Well, I got, the, I got, you know, I, I know inside stuff on Pam Oliver and my buddy Craig Butler, Butler, you know, with his son, Dick Ben Raffles Butler. Oh, the guy with the, the big neck. Yeah. Okay. I remember uh, Butler. His best friend, who you have not met, and I won't say his name over the air, but uh, was dating Pam Oliver for like a year. Really? Pam Oliver, a nice girl, a uh, freaky girl, too, is the best way I can put it. <laughs> Good person. Good person. Okay. Let's leave it at that. Yeah, I will. But, I will. But nobody should have Tony Siragusa sideline reporting. It actually eh, maybe wouldn't be bad. Like in a honeymooners? It would be so bad. Yeah. Yeah. It'd All be right. better than having Brad Pitt sideline report, because then he'd be like a little uncomfortable. <laughs> Pam, Pam, pay attention to me. Oh, goodness. Very disturbing. At any rate, Big Dog, the opening game uh, was, was uh, you know, good game for three-quarters of the way and then turned into just an unbelievable finish. San Francisco, Jimmy Harbaugh and company move on and then knock off the New Orleans Saints. Phenomenal finish. Alex Smith, I'm going to uh, assume you're going to say, prove this worth. Think about it, number one overall pick, and now he has a chance to, to beat the Giants to go to the Super Bowl. And what a game he had. You know, we talked about how with the, the cool quarterback matchups they had this week, like the thrower and, and runner versus uh, Brady and Tebow. Then we had the consummate like leader of a team versus the consummate game manager and Breeze versus Alex Smith. Alex Smith was the consummate team manager all the way up until the point where uh, New Orleans took the lead in the game, Coach, and then all of a sudden he turned into, for the first time in his career, a number one overall draft pick that's supposed to put a team on his shoulders. That was phenomenal. Alex Smith's last five minutes of that game and Vernon Smith's uh, whole game, like, totally, like, acknowledged that they were worthy of those high picks that they, they received. Vernon Davis, the tight end for the 49ers, who was one sent off the field by Mike Singletary, told to go to the locker room in the middle of a football game. I forgot about so, that. Yeah, so, I mean, there was like a lot of vindication. It's awesome. I'm, Alex Smith had a 28-yard run to put them ahead late in the fourth quarter with about, what, about a, a, a minute, two minutes to go, but Drew Brees was about to go take the lead back from him. Uh, when he made that 28-yard run for a touchdown, there's the radio color analyst for San Fran. I don't know who it is, but all he yelled was, I'll never doubt you again, Alex Smith. Well, he still went out. You know, there was still another drive to have. have, That was one of the most amazing finishes in NFL history, Coach. That was just a spectacular game. From New Orleans' standpoint, twice. Twice they make unbelievable drives and plays to pull victory out from what looked like an upset and a defeat. Not once, but twice. They make the miracle comeback, especially the second time when Jimmy Graham crosses the end zone line. But, uh... Somehow the San Francisco 49ers found a way. By the way, you speak, speak of Vernon Davis, by far, by far my favorite moment of the weekend. You know what I'm talking about, big dog. Vernon when, when Davis off coming the off the field, yes. crying, in tears. He realized the significance of the moment. The emotion caught up to him. I absolutely love that. Vernon Davis, uh, in, in not even choking back, I mean in significant tearage after catching that tremendous touchdown. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of Terrell Owens, but Terrell Owens had a, a game against the Packers in the 1999 season where he had only one catch and he had like five drops. And there's one catch, he's caught 
a real deep post from Steve Young to beat the Packers, and it was a post right in this exact same place on the field uh, where uh, Vernon Davis caught the ball, that's Rell Owens caught the ball. Both of them ran off the field in tears, and both of them are absolute freaks and specimens. I thought I was watching, like, a replay. I'm not kidding. I brought it up. I'm like, guys, you remember that? They're like, yeah, that's exactly what happened. Do you remember the play I'm talking about, Coach? No. Thoreau was caught up. It was the exact same play except Steve Young was 20 yards further down the field than Alex Smith was when he threw mm-hmm. the ball. Caught the ball, got hammered at the goal line. It was the winning touchdown, and he cried coming off the field. It was I, That was one of the best moments of the weekend, Coach. I completely agree. The raw emotion. I've, I've said it before, Big Dog. It's, uh, for me personally, anyways, it's absolutely from an early age, one of the things that drew me to sports. I always say, David Olson, where in life? Where else, what other avenue in life can you see that kind of emotion, uh, both high and low, the raw emotion that comes out from adults in the world of sports? It's just unmatched in any other avenue in life, I think. It isn't. It is definitely unmatched. Football can put me in tears. I'm not kidding you. Like football can like well, I can get tears well up in my eyes sometimes yep. with the intensity. I'm not kidding. So. Well, if you want to do that when I'm alone, you know what? <laughs> I'm going to get you a, a CD that we put together: offensive bear play calling highlights of the last ten years. If you want to be in tears watching football, I guarantee this CD will be good for you, Big Dog. Yeah, well, yes. Uh, we we, we mix in DVD because I don't <laughs> want to watch it. Is it Joniak? Jeff Joniak narrates that some of the highlights of the John Shoops era mixed in with uh, uh, Terry O'Shea, a little bit of Ron Turner. You throw in a little bit of Mike Martz. It's narrated by ex-Bear GM Mark Hatley. I guarantee it's a 10-clean X production. Oh, uh, yeah. Especially <laughs> Mark Hatley's involved in that production. 888-463-6748, 888-463-6748. We didn't know it. But this game was really a inkling of thing to come. The theme over the weekend was bad turnovers by good teams. Lots of turnovers by good teams. And New Orleans had, what, five in the game? I, I, I don't know, Coach. That sounds about right. I ended up, for some reason, so I, I'm i coming from a training for that job. That you, we cannot, you can't ask me anything about it. I have to leave it at that. I have to stay secret about it. But, so I'm coming from a training from this job, and I thought I was going to be able to watch the game on my phone, and I couldn't. I, was, I can't even explain uh, how, how upset I was. So, but, so I didn't get to watch the whole San Francisco-New Orleans game. All right. Well, that, that was a well. tremendous finish, and I think a lot of people like myself were then all well, I settled. I saw the end. Huh? I saw the end. That's all I got to see. Well, yeah, that's good enough. Okay. That's good enough. Believe me, the end was worth the uh, price of admission. But then most of us are all, you know, getting ready for the excitement of Saturday Night Football. Can the Broncos stay close to the Patriots? Can Tebow pull it off again? Tom Brady and the Patriots were all settled in for a good game. And before the popcorn had even popped, Big Dog, the New England Patriots blew out the Denver Broncos. And Tom Brady was phenomenal. They scored 35 first-half points, Patriots 45, Denver 10. You know, obviously it didn't make any difference in the game, but I thought it was real strange when at the coin toss, the Broncos decided to give the ball to the New England Patriots. Wouldn't it behoove the, the Broncos to get a lead no. on the Patriots, try to run the ball a little bit? All of a sudden you're like, oh, no. here, here you go, Tom Brady, go take the lead, and we're going to try to chase you. I would have done yeah, the I, same thing. I, uh, I, I like to always defer. I always do too, but in that situation, and you know, I, I, you, I always do coach. 
that would have been the one time I was like, you know what, I almost have to take the ball in this situation. Okay. I would, I would disagree with you, but I will, uh, I will succumb to your football wisdom. But uh, Tom Brady was awfully good. Rob Gronkowski, what did he have? Three touchdown catches. And by the way, with all the passing, the weather was brutal. Not only was it cold, there was a stiff wind, too. So Brady did all those histronics despite the miserable weather. Yeah, he. you got to have a rocket of an arm to get the ball through some of those winds that you get out there on the, on the East Coast. You're right, Coach. That was not a great day for passing. Because, I mean, the, the ground was fine, so the pass rushers had plenty of speed, but they had 25-mile-an-hour winds. That was crazy. But if you watch Brady throw it, you would have thought he was indoors in the Superdome. I mean, it was like nothing. And then every once in a while, excuse me, they would show the flags. And you knew it was cold out there. You see the flags, you know, just blistering. It must have been 20, 25-mile-an-hour wind. And, yeah, and it makes you realize how unbelievably well Tom Brady was throwing the football. Yeah, that was it was one heck of a night, Coach, uh, definitely. And uh, I, the Patriots, out of nowhere, they turned Aaron, Aaron Hernandez into a running back. Bust off a couple long runs. I mean, seriously. And, and at the end, you know, people rip the Patriots for, uh, like, running the score up on people. He, Belichick only runs the score up on a couple teams. Like, if they if he ever plays Jeff Fisher, they, he tries to score 70 points. I have no idea why, but he does not like Jeff Fisher, okay? And if you notice, they were have, Tom Brady was kicking squib kicks on third down late in the game. I, in the third I, quarter. I mean, to be honest with you, I, I turned off. I did not watch. After the initial beginning of the second half, maybe the first three, four minutes, I think the Patriots scored again. So how long did they leave Brady in for the whole game? Uh, they left him in for the whole game, Coach, and I'm not kidding you. They legitimately put it on utter shutdown. I had never seen the Patriots perform that way. You know, like normally, you know, like they just keep going and going and going. They really were like, okay, we're just going to get out of here with a victory. And mm-hmm. I had really never seen them put it on shutdown. They didn't on defense whatsoever. They kept the screws and I guess Belichick's like, hey, you got that two weeks off. You play that crap all year. You, I'm going to leave you out there, and you're going to keep on performing at a high level. So that, I thought that I, was awesome. I can understand that from the defensive standpoint, but why Why would Brady be out there for the last two series? It makes no I, sense I, at all. I, and, I, I, to be honest with you, Coach, I don't know about the last like four minutes of the game. Like if he was on there in the last drive, but he was definitely with seven minutes to go in the game, Brady was still on the field. I didn't see the last drive. I mean, A, you got the injury factor, and B, you know, who's the backup? Bobby Hoyer? Is he still there? <laughs> uh, whoever, Bobby Hoyer from Michigan State, whoever the backup is, um, you know, hey, anything, they're playing the Baltimore Ravens next week. Ray Lewis could blitz. One of his linemen doesn't pick up the blitz. Down goes Tom Brady. You would like your backup quarterback to maybe see a little bit of action. I mean, you know, it's not likely, but... There's just no reason for him to be out there last 10 minutes of the game. For, forget about Ray Lewis, Coach. T. Sizzle, uh, Terrell, uh, Terrell Suggs. Oh, my goodness. I mean, he should be the NFL Defensive Player of the Year. He he almost killed Tom Brady in the first game. He sacked him like two or three times. The, the, the Ravens are going to win this game. Ooh, a little, we, we, you're, you're getting ahead of us here because we want a sneak peek ahead at the championship game. Big dog. Big Dog coming out with a uh, little quality statement here. Ravens over the Patriots. It's going to be at New England, I remind you. I, everybody, I've already heard everybody's talking about, oh, Joe Flacco versus Tom Brady. Who's going to block Terrell Suggs on the New England Patriots? The guy is a madman. He's a man possessed right now. 
Nobody can block him on the New England Patriots. Glad you mentioned that because I got to go back, rewind quickly to Game One. I had not, I haven't watched much 49er football at all. But apparently, this guy made the All Pro team. My new favorite defensive lineman. Who was Justin the kid? Joe. Smith. What's his name? Justin Smith. Justin Smith, yes. number seventy-four. He's defensive tackle or defensive end. They move him out. They can put him anywhere on the defensive line. This is a kid out of Missouri who killed Illinois, and he was bad. For the first couple of years out of out of college, and he never got a chance. And all of a sudden, Jim Harbaugh come here, and it, now he, the kid is just absolutely dominating. And don't forget another kid from Missouri, Alden Smith. Have you seen him play? The other defensive end that the 49ers have, Coach? Have not. The, the, two, the two best defensive lines remaining in this are the Giants and the, and the Ravens. But the 49ers are really close to the Giants, Coach. Yeah, all I know is that, that, on the D-line. that kid, Justin Smith, had one heck of a game, and it was uh, just you know an 80% mental and 20% physical. He was just determined to get to the quarterback, the bull rush. He doesn't look like he's a great athlete. But he's got the desire and the one-two, the strength. The guy's a maniac on the football field. He absolutely destroyed. I mean, destroyed the left tackle of the uh, New Orleans Saints. And, and by the way, the New Orleans Saints had the best offensive line of football. Both their tackles were all pros, too. So the guy he was beating up was an all-pro. No, no, both the guards on the Saints are all-pro. Ah. The, the tackle the tackle are still good. No, I agree. The, the Saints have the best offensive line of football. So, yeah, he was beating up great, great players. But, yeah, Hicks and Evans are their uh, – are their guards on that team? But yeah. Justin Smith, you, you you summed it up pretty well, Coach. He is explosive. He's really fast off the ball, and he's really powerful. But he doesn't move left or right quick. But my mm-hmm. goodness, when he he just keeps pushing guys back into the quarterback, and the next thing you know, he gets a fumble. Good. Eight 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 four six three six seven four eight. You watch the game. Want to make a comment? Agree or disagree with our football expert, the big dog, Joel Redwanski? We don't call him Joe. We call him Joel because we found by Pronouncing his name that way, it takes two-tenths of a second off his 40-yard time, which used to be about 4-9. What are you, about a 5-5 guy right now? No, no. I, honestly, Coach, when I uh, when I played at Donald Grove <laughs> North, I ran I, I ran a, a four sevens consistently, and I mean it. I'm not just saying the four seven. Okay. I was a 4 seven, four eight guy, okay? And the last time I was timed, because there was a lead personal trainer at – the Valley Total Fitness I worked at was like, dude, we got to get you to try out for the Chicago Slaughter. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they put me through the whole combine workout that the NFL goes through. And on the track, he timed me. And this was, this was two years ago. So I know I'm not as fast as this now because I was in elite shape at that time. And I ran a, I ran a, a 493. Wow. In the 40. 37 years point, old and still in the fours. A 37 year old, I ran a 493. And I bench pressed 225 pounds 28 times. It's highly impressive. And I that's not if, enough. We can we can get uh, we'll be I'll be more than happy to get Chris Brady on the airways right now. If I didn't know did, you, I forgot what I get for the my 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 uh, vertical was like 27 inches. <laughs> we did we did the broad jump. My broad jump was like seven foot three inches. It wasn't very good. Uh, so. I'm laughing because who could forget our argument about the vertical jump with you jumping on a table? Remember oh, we you, had that you, whole... I couldn't understand why you couldn't figure that out, Coach. I was like, I was, I was, I was like, Coach, why can't you get a concept right, into your head that people bend their legs? Don't get me started, young man. All I can say is if I didn't know you better, I'd be highly impressed with those statistics. 
<laughs> There's the backhanded compliment for you. Hey, let oh, me whatever. Let whatever. Me, before we get to Sunday, how many how many thirty nine year old people do you know dunk a basketball? <laughs> Not many. Okay. Not many. I don't know if I still can right now, but at thirty seven, I could. Yeah. All right. Uh, before we move to Sunday's game, let me throw this out to you, David Olson. I was thinking about this. And, and Joe, you for a young man and relatively young man compared to me, anyways, have a good historical perspective in sports. Uh, Tom Brady kind of brought me to it, but we've been talking about Aaron Rodgers and Drew Brees, rightfully so. I don't think people are over exaggerating when people say two of the greatest single seasons that a quarterback has ever had in the NFL. Without question. Put Tom Brady in the picture and let us not forget Peyton Manning. Has there ever been a time, ever, in pro football? When you've had four quarterbacks as great at one time, all four, in the prime of their game, as Peyton Manning, and I, hope, I don't think I'm forgetting anybody big, though, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, and Drew Brees, uh, arguably four. I mean, you could probably make an argument saying they're the four best quarterbacks that ever played the game. It might not be a correct argument, but you wouldn't be completely wacko. you got, you got to think back to the 1980s, though. Dan Marino. Dan Marino, Joe Montana, John Elway, Jim Kelly. Jim who? Jim, Jim Kelly. Kelly. What do you think, Big Dog? I think I, I would have to say right now is that you have to you also have to admit that the there is more offense. It's, it's way much more for the offense in the in the aughts in the in the two thousands than it was during the nineteen eighties. Because you also got to figure the fact that. Matt Stafford threw for 5,000 yards this year, too. Yeah, I was trying to think, who Eli, were the next? Eli Manning, Eli Manning threw Eli's. for 4,933 yards. He was he was one past of Victor Cruz or Hakeem Nicks away from being from 5,000. So if you consider that, you know, there's... Well, but... I would go with I would go with this era's right now. Right? I really would go I with this so era too. right now. And, and the reason why I do is because they learned from the previous era. All those guys that we talked about are students of the game. The Tom Brady's, Drew Brees, the Peyton Manning, they respect the previous era, and they have learned from that area and made themselves better from that. That's D- why I will give the nod of the hat to this era. David, who was the – Montana, Kelly, Marino, who was the fourth guy? Elway. John Elway. And John Elway. And, and in and, defense of the argument of the current guys, by the way, we talk about the great single season, but these aren't single season guys. Uh, to add to the argument, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, and Aaron Rodgers have all – done it for at least a medium significant amount of time and in the case of uh you know Brady and Manning and Breeze really even a longer so it's not like they're Johnny come lately so I, you know I would I, almost I agree I agree with you boy so and, the... but you think in the 80s one guy the two guys that we didn't talk about which are phenomenal quarterbacks but they just didn't win anything were were uh, Dan Fouts and Warren Moon if you think about the stats, Warren Moon put up their ungodly coach oh my goodness so he played for the Houston Oilers when their best running back was Lorenzo White. You know, what, for like a ten-year period, they lost Earl Campbell. And they didn't get a running back till Eddie George. You know, so, it's. I would have to say this era though is it, a little better. And I just simple fact: these guys they really respect the game. And there's, but those guys in the '80s took it to a new level. That was the the beginning of all the new rules that helped the passing offenses, if you remember. Mm-hmm. And, and if you really want to argue. Well, like, forget stats. If you really just look at the era and how quarterbacks dominated, the quarterbacks in the seventies were some pretty good. If you Roger Staubach, Kenny Stabler, Terry Terry Bradshaw, you give me those three quarterbacks. I know statistically they wouldn't compare to the eighties or the ninety quarterbacks when you're talking about Steve Young, Troy Aikman, Brett Favre, that era. 
I will still take our era right now. What we have right now is the the greatest era of quarterbacking ever, and it's because all of them respect the game so much. Yeah, but the whole you know parity thing comes into play too, because if you even look at the standings this year, you've got twenty teams that had a five hundred or less what record. Is, what does that have to do with great quarterback play? That the the teams that they're playing aren't up to snuff. Well, well, maybe it's the fact that the rules are so geared towards the quarterback now that if you have a great quarterback, you're going to win a lot of games. Different argument. But I I agree with yours, Joel, but I would disagree with David because the reverse to that, David, if well, if you say there's parity, you could use the argument, well, the well, no, no, quarterbacks no, 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 there's have been, the There's the illusion of parity. Whatever. But the point would be the quarterbacks of today, then, using your argument, they, well, they don't have as many easy games. If there was less parity back in the 80s, all right, maybe there were... Some better no, teams. No, no, no. What, I, what I'm saying is, they say there's parity now, but there's not, and that's why they're able to put up these stats because there 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 are more crap teams than there are good teams in the league. More than in the 1980s. Yes. Okay. Not sure I agree with that, but now I understand the argument. Well, that has a little bit to do with the stats, but you have to admit the rules have a lot to do with it. Back in the 1970s. Lester Hayes would walk up to Lynn Swan and say, "Hey, yo, blankety blank blank blank, I'm going to wear you today." Okay, that's that's what's going to happen, and he'd have to be like, "Yeah, I know, I know." And Donnie Shell would beat up, you know, uh, Cliff Branch for 60 minutes. He would, they would be on the sidelines, and Donnie Shell would walk over to the Raiders sideline and beat up uh, Cliff Branch. You know, I mean, it's just not like you touch, you go boo to a receiver now. Oh, that's the flag, that's the flag, you know. So. Oh, if he touch a quarterback, you know. So, uh, I, I would I would like to say when we talk about these eras, and if you look at stats and you look at all that other stuff, you really try to look at what they did comparatively to the players in their era. Because Drew Brees, you know, threw for twice as many yards, I'm sure, that Roger Staubach did in 1977. Okay, and I don't think Drew Brees is twice as good a quarterback as Roger Staubach. Yeah, good point. Good point. I don't know what happens the rest of today's show, but I already consider this show a success. Any show that brings up the names of a Lester Hayes and a Donnie Shell, right off the bat, Big Dog, I think I can speak for 76% of our listening public our day is better for the mention of those two fine individuals. Well, when I was growing up, though, because back then, you know, everybody played man-to-man defense, and if you had great corners, mm-hmm. you know, a guy that wasn't afraid to get beat. Because we used to, I remember, in 1982, I'm going to throw you something out here, Coach. There was a team in the NFL, the last team in the NFL, that had two white cornerbacks on it. Can you name me the last team that had two starting white cornerbacks on it? It was in 1982. Can you name me the two players? I would have gone back earlier, maybe, and picked the the old St. Louis Cardinals with a Roger Worley on one side, and who the hell was the guy on the other side? So that that was the other guy was the good guy. I can't. uh, Larry Larry Wolf. Wait, Larry Wilson. Yes. Oh my goodness, those guys were awesome. That's going way back. Yeah, that's yeah, the nineteen eighties. Two starting white cornerbacks. What? And con- I'm not talking about like they were the last ones to even start a game, but they started the whole season. What conference? The NFC. Why am I thinking Forty ers I don't know. Well, the Forty ers definitely did in nineteen eighty two because. Uh, well, Ronnie Lott was still playing corner at that time before he moved over to. And was he uh, was Ronnie Lott white or black? I keep forgetting. Um, well, 
I like to see people just as being like normal. Ah, uh, stop so, it. It's all good. All right, what's what's the answer to the question? Uh, well, uh, they were from the city of Chicago. The Chicago Bears oh. were the last team. Van Sikkim Plank? No, they were those guys were those were uh, safeties. They were safeties, coach. White cornerbacks. Hold on now. If it's the Bears, we got to be able to get it. Yeah, that's the what, last that's what starting I'm Terry, not Terry uh, Fisher. Yeah. Well, Jeff Fisher Jeff was Fisher. a uh, Jeff Fisher was a a free safety. He okay. was not a. Uh, we had you a, said Terry. I'm gonna. You said Terry, yeah. and that was the first name of one. One of them is Terry. I remember the guy Terry, and I'm not going to be able to get his last name. Who was the other? It guy? was Terry Schmidt. He was also yes. a punter, yes. and he was he started for like four or five years for the Chicago Bears. Mm-hmm. Could you believe that? So this is 30 years ago. This will be the thir- there's been 30 seasons since this has happened. And if I, when I tell you the the name of the other guy, coach, you you're going to laugh. Okay. Okay. And. Uh, he he started eight games. So Len Walterscheid. Ah, that's right. Lenny Walterscheid. So not only was he was he white, he was also a Hebrew defense coach. So there has been a Hebrew starting at cornerback <laughs> in the last thirty years in the NFL. Uh-huh. And he had two interceptions and two forced fumbles that season, by the way, I'm yeah. looking at. Good he was year, a hell of a special teams player too. Mm-hmm. So can you believe that? It's been so that's also a lot. So when we talk about uh, like if Kenny Stabler even did have good passing stats, it was a different era of the of the NFL way back in the day. By the way, before we move to uh, Sunday's game, talking NFL expert slash historian slash enthusiast Joel Radwanski, eight 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 four six three six seven four eight. You're joining us now. You want to make some comments on the games over the weekend? We'd love to hear from you. Triple eight four six three six seven four eight. Real quick before Sunday's game, David Olson, I want to name. Address, a history, somebody dropped off our like list, Big Dog. Because when we were at Friday's show, we had 164 likes. Uh-huh. We are now at 163. Somebody dropped off, Dog. I'm not really concerned about that at all. Maybe somebody... I, I want to name. Maybe, maybe somebody uh, decided to, uh, like, void their Facebook account. I don't like that it. Goes. I don't like it. I don't really I, you work. know me. I don't I, like that we only have in 160. We should at least be over 1,000 by now. Absolutely. But I take each and every loss very personal. You know that. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to uh, Sunday. Hopefully uh, you had a good Saturday night. You were uh, staying under control as a true professional preparing for Sunday's game. And, uh, Saturday night I told you I was at a baby shower. Oh, and that's able, right. I was able to convince all these Yashis. <laughs> uh, and uh, and uh, their boyfriends to let me watch football because they wanted, which I was extremely happy when they were like, "We want to watch the Bulls game." I'm like, "Hey, now you're talking to me." And so they gave me the remote. <laughs> so there were. I, I forgot that you were going to attend a uh, baby shower. So there were other guys there. There were, yeah, and all okay. of them had significant others. And my goodness, they were doing extremely well for themselves. I was like, guys, you've outkicked your cup. They all laughed. <laughs> I was they worried you were going to be like. I was talking about. I'm like, really? You three are dating those? <laughs> my goodness. So good. Good. Uh, I, pic- I pictured you as like the only guy there, and I thought maybe by the end of the night there were some other women who might choose you as your significant other, at least for the night. Well, they could have they could have tried to, but I, I I think I'm pretty steadfast with who I'm going to stick with for quite some time from now on, Coach. Uh, okay. I, I got I, we were outnumbered. The four of us, the four <laughs> of us guys, were outnumbered easily thirty to four. 
They were, they were, they were everywhere. I can't even know where these girls are coming out of. There's like baby stuff flying in every direction. <laughs> okay. And you're trying to watch the football game. Well, that's quite all right. I, I could deal with okay. it. I had no problem. It was not like I was missing much of the New England-Denver yes. game. Yes. So, after a while, I quit kind of paying attention. They were like, yeah. oh, you don't even care about the game. You're such a sweet boyfriend here. Yeah, you haven't seen a score, have you? <laughs> Trust me, if this thing was 28-27, I wouldn't be caring about if that was a, a 3T or a 2T right now. Trust me. <laughs> Oh, I'm glad you're learning, you're learning the terminology. Nicely done, Big Dog. You'll be prepared yeah. in the future. All right, quickly, moving to Sunday's game. Baltimore knocks off Houston 20-13. to The spread, by the way, 7.5 points. So Houston covers. Uh, the Texans had opportunities, Big Dog, in the fourth quarter, but T.J. Yates in the offense just not quite good enough. And, again, broken record here, uh, turnovers were huge in this game. Four. Four for Houston, zero for Baltimore. Yeah, you're exactly right. That's the difference in the ball game because Baltimore did not put them away at all on offense, and Baltimore's offense really needs to play a lot better against New England next week. So, but I want to say this about TJH. We had a bunch of bad throws, coaches, but the guy was this was his seventh football game he's ever played in the NFL, and it was against an extremely good team. And by the way, he's already got a playoff win under his belt. So, TJH, I'm not pointing the finger at you. I'm pointing at your teammates in the first half, Coach. How, did you watch the game? How many drops of really, really good passes on third down? Did the, the Texans had three of them. Who knows what happens if like those passes are completed? Because you know you get Yates some confidence. And what if they're playing with the lead? He probably isn't forcing some of those. Those some of those passes were bad and really forced. He wouldn't do that with the lead. I don't think he would. The kid hadn't done it all year, so. The Texans really needed to help their quarterback yesterday, and they did not. Did not watch much of the first half, so I missed some of that. But uh, second half, certainly not a great game, but the Ravens did what they had to do. Workmanlike performance. Their defense came through. Nice little highlight reel interception by Ed Reed. Do we have, by the way, he went off with a potentially serious injury, and you're picturing the Raven defense having to defend Tom Brady. Any idea, Big Dog, uh, how bad the injury to Ed Reed was? Yeah, and, and I'm going to tell you this right now. I'm holding my pick of uh, if if he is not if Ed Reed is not playing against the Patriots, I will not pick the Ravens. But what happened was early in the game, Ed Reed could have made an incredible interception, diving for the ball over his head, and he landed on his hip all wrong, and he laid there for a couple minutes. He came back in the game. He should have left. I was like, I don't know how at his age he is playing. But he continued to stay out there, got another interception, and now after the game they were like, oh, it really tightened up and he's in a lot of trouble. Hips are, you know, you, you think, oh, hip or a toe. Hips and toes are the worst injuries, Coach. I think really, I don't know what it is. Hips, toes, backs, necks, those are the worst things that you wouldn't think. And so I, I, I don't know what to tell you at this point. It's definitely mm-hmm. up in the air, and they're worried about it. The yeah, it'll really... affect the point spread, too. David Olson, you got the injury report? Yeah, it's actually his ankle, and he's expected to play. Okay, good. Oh, it isn't his hip? It was his hip yesterday in the game. Okay, well, but the injury that's... late, Big Dog, the, like one of the last plays of the game, he came down and really came down hard on the one leg, and it looked like the knee, and then he was holding his ankle. So Was it on the interception? No. It was the okay. Hail Mary. Yes. I got you. Yeah. Okay. Okay, yeah. And the fourth down play, that's when they had to carry him out. At any rate, workmanlike victory for the Ravens. It'll be the Ravens taking on the Patriots. Before we get your early analysis on that, Big Dog, final game of the day, Giants upset the Packers 37-20. to To me, you can analyze this game all you want. You said it earlier. From coaching to playing, just 
you can't you you can uh, a bad game. Yeah, that's what it was. You know, great teams can have a bad game. The Packers had a bad game, and they had it in a playoff game. And despite the great season, they're done. One bad game. Oh yeah, I don't want to take anything away from the Giants. Your defensive line played well. Your quarterback took care of the football. But that you, the Giants played a good football game, and they ended up winning in Lambeau. And who would ever have thought that? You would have thought that the Giants would have had to play a phenomenal game to go into Lambeau and win. They just they they played a good game, and the Packers played their worst game in two or three seasons. Yep. And yeah, that's it's as simple as that. Mm-hmm. And the Packers have got to be disgusted with themselves because they did have the best team in football. And I I know people will say, oh, they gave up the most passing yards in the history of the game. They had the second most interceptions or the third most interceptions. It was like way up there in the history of the game too. And when so there's a lot to be said about the stats were skewed. Their defense wasn't as bad as you thought, but I know yesterday their defense was bad. So offense, a bunch of mistakes, and the defense that had a very hard time getting the Giants off the field. And guess what? You're going home with the best team in the NFL. I still don't understand how in passing situations, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I forget which receiver, but all right, you got two great receivers for the Giants, Victor Cruz and Hockey Mix. There was a big third down late when the Packers rushed three, maybe four at most. And I think it was Nick's, might have been crew, one of the two star receivers, wide open in the middle of the zone, first down, Giants, and effectively put an end to the Green Bay Pack. And I'm like, all right, they're sending out three or four receivers. You are keeping back seven guys. How do you not closely guard their two top receivers? Uh, yeah, I'm with you. And I'm almost positive it was, if you're talking about like an in-cut, it was the Victor Cruz yeah, play late in the game. Because exactly. when that happened, yeah. about six minutes ago in the game, I'm like, guys, this, this is almost official. And you can give me point. all the the coverages and the responsibilities. Well, you know, he, he went beyond, you know, the inside, the, the linebacker coverage. He went beyond that in front of the safety. Well, you know what? Forget- coach, no, you bracket them. They should be bracketed. Akeem Nixon and Victor Cruz are bracketed, period. If you don't bracket them, if Jake Ballard gets a 15-yard catch up the middle of the field for you, Jake Ballard, congratulations. Yes. You're exactly right. If you don't have both those guys in and outed, so everywhere they're at on the field, yep. it, there's no excuse for it. It's, you're exactly right. There's no excuse. Eli Manning, he did have a lot of time, didn't he? He did have the ability to step up and what about, go real clean. <laughs> big dog, this is not typical, but I'm just you know going to think outside the box here. All right, I got seven guys in my defensive coverage. I'm going to take my two best cover guys, and hey, number 80 is Victor Cruz. You stay with him. Number 88 is Hakeem Nix. You stay with him wherever he goes, almost like basketball. Front him. Stay with him. Wherever you have one responsibility, stay with him. Now, the other five guys play your zone defense, and in fact, wherever Nix or Cruz come in, you've got the effect of a double coverage. If they run, you still got some people in your zone defense, so... Maybe Coach. it's like a basketball box and want two guys closely covered and then your five-man passing zone defense. What's wrong with that theory? Coach, you know, there's new defenses that have been – I'm sure I'm sure David Olsen has played football long enough in his career to remember uh, man under cover two, okay, which basically meant you had two safeties playing over the top and everybody else plays man, man defense. So the five eligible receivers are covered by the five underneath people and four people rush. Well, nowadays, Coach, exactly what you're saying. They have these new transfounded defenses where you have two guys that play man against your outside guys, and then you have five guys play a zone diamond throughout the middle of the field. That's all they had to do. 
simple as that. You're only going to rush four people. We'll cover the two guys that have been feeding your brains in all day. Larry from Libertyville emails in. He tried the man undercover two at one point in his late teens when he was still trying to discover his sexual orientation, and he said it did not work. I would, I would, you got to be a professional, and you need yep. 10 other guys to help you do this. Okay? Apparently. No, it yeah. makes total sense, Big Dog, and I think more teams should try that. Uh-huh. And, and I don't know, it's still not a typical defense, correct? No, 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 not at all. If you're only going to blitz, if you're only going to blitz for, if you're going to come with four on pressure, don't just sit back there. Hey, we're going to play. We're going to yep. play a cover three. We're going to take our time, and yeah, we're not going to make sure we're going to get beat deep. Be aggressive. You're losing by three scores. <laughs> well, you got to do something besides sit back, give you that manning all day, and just I'm going to play my area. No, you got to cover somebody. Oh, my when. You know, I didn't have to cover very much when I was in high school. I had some really great coaches, and I refer back to them. Mm-hmm. But, like, if I normally blitz, but if I was in coverage and then, like, Red Wants, we didn't tell you to cover the flat. You know, I know that's what you're supposed to, but you're supposed to cover someone, not just air. <laughs> you know, yeah. so, like, if a guy is a little bit deeper than you, you don't go to the same spot every time you drop deeper, Red Wants. You don't cover air. That's exactly what you- the, the I, Packers were covering air yesterday. I remember from uh, many years of coaching soccer, I would shout out the same thing to our players when the other team had a goal kick or a defensive kick. I cover somebody. Don't cover grass. Don't go to a spot. Look around. Use a little yeah. bit of peripheral vision. And, you know, the grass isn't going to hurt you. The players are. Find the guy in your area and cover him, not the yeah. grassiest area. Thank you very much. Yeah, exactly, Coach. Um, exactly. Larry from Libertyville also brings up a good point, Big Dog, and I was going to ask you the same thing. Emails in at Mike2GuysAOL.com, M-I-C, and the number two, Mike2GuysAOL.com. Our email address asked the Big Dog what part the three-week layoff, when he refers to three weeks for the Packers, he's talking about the fact they did not start Aaron Rodgers uh, the last regular season game they had to buy. What part did the three-week layoff have for the Packers playing such a uh, malfunctional game on offense? I'm going to say absolutely none, because if they gave him the time off, he absolutely must have needed it at the time. So instead of blaming, if that was the case, then they deserve to lose at, at that point. So I'm going to say zero, Coach, because don't you think the Packers figured all that stuff in? I don't think they just blindly said, hey, let's just rest Rodgers. He must have needed to not play that day. Well, you can figure it in. It can make sense at the time, but... It could be a wrong assumption, and I do, I do think they were rusty. But, I, I, maybe that was it. Maybe, maybe that was it. I, I'm not going to say yes, but maybe. Right. Giants 37, Green Bay 20. Real quick, dog. Only a couple of minutes left, but because um, we do, David Olson, I think, has a 30 segment, 30 second segment on highlights of the Cub convention over the weekend. Uh, did we have anybody reporting there, David, or not? He's throwing his hand. We did not. I thought we were going to get an intern to cover that. All right, well, we'll we'll spend 30 seconds on the highlights of the Cub Convention. But looking ahead, Big Dog, Ravens, New England, Giants, and Frisco. It's not the four we thought, but it's the four we got. Well, I mean, who cares? At this point, all these teams are playing pretty solid football. No matter what matchup you get, that's the first thing after the championship games that go over my head. Okay, what matchups can we get? The first one that just shoots into everybody's mind is the Harbaugh with the uh, possibility of the 49ers taking on the Baltimore Ravens. And, look, now, would you rather have I, – I don't want Lovey Smith fired. But, man, Jim Harbaugh as a Bears coach would have been awfully nice right now because he fits in perfectly with their personnel. Uh, 
Or, okay, now you have uh, the other one, the, the least romantic one, I guess, would be the New England Patriots versus the San Francisco 49ers. There's really no history there, but it would still obviously be a great matchup. And then on the other one, a rematch of the, the Patriots versus the Giants. Are you kidding me, Coach? How how unbelievable. That will be four years later, even though it's not perfect, to Tom Brady get a little bit of revenge over Eli Manning for wrecking the perfect season. And then you have the matchup of the the, the season of the uh, January 2001 where the Giants take on the, the Baltimore Ravens. I think the NFL needs to hire Joel Redwanski to market these games, but you're doing a hell of a job of selling them. But quite frankly, none of the four, obviously there'll be a good game, and obviously I'll watch it. It's the Super Bowl, but none but of the four. Excitement. You, you, uh, I'm sorry, there isn't enough uh, pretty quarterbacks in passing for you. <laughs> you still have the Patriots, Coach. You can cross your fingers and hope Tom Brady makes it to the Super Bowl. But you better hope Ed Reed is not uh, in the backfield for the Ravens or else it's going to be an awfully, awfully difficult game for the Patriots coming up this week. I have not seen the point spreads. I am going to guess. Let's see. Baltimore at New England. I'm going to guess point spread there. New England five, maybe six. Okay, I got New England as four. Four? And I, I, I would have had the, have the you 49ers as three, and I, I don't know if David Olsen told us that they were two and a half, but I've heard they were two and a half, so I, I had that one right. That's where it should be. The Niners should be a three-point favorite over the, the GIF. Yeah, that's probably what I would dead-even matchup. Give them a call. The home team is 49ers, right? Yeah. Yeah, so I would have picked San Francisco three points, too. What do we got, mm-hmm. David? Uh, new, it, it is two and a half. Frisco. Two, Frisco is favored by two and a half. Okay. Uh, new England's favored by seven and a half. Seven what? Thank you. Woo hoo! Woo hoo! Beat the smell. Yeah. Someone's gonna make some money this week, coach. Yeah, yeah. Keep in mind, just keep in mind how Tom Brady picked apart a pretty good Denver Bronco defense. So maybe that keep can in be mind a little trap. Miller was not introduced to Tom Brady during that game until after the game when he wished him well against the Ravens. Okay. Terrell Suggs will make that'll be a little different. A little different. Terrell Suggs is. Defensive player of the year in the NFL. Even mm-hmm. if he doesn't win it, he's, he is in my book. All right. 888-463-6748. Dog and the coach are with you all week right up until 11 o'clock. Tune in each morning at 10 o'clock talking a uh, little football. We'll get into some basketball talk, a lot of sports guys talk, politics over the course of the week, other stories that come up. Of course, we got the Cub Convention that happened over the weekend, Big Dog. Also, by the way, uh, in about one hour, Five minutes and 18 seconds, but who's counting? The Chicago Bulls have a Martin Luther King Day battle against the Memphis Grizzlies. Any chance you will be tuning into that spectacular? Coach, I was supposed to go downtown, do some paperwork, blah, 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 but I have to meet this guy anyways in two days. I am staying home. I'm going to watch uh, the Martin Luther King game. I'm going to clean up my whole entire house. And by the way, you know it's a tradition. I do it at parties. You've never been to one of my bashes where I've had like 500 people here, people jumping in the pool, acting a fool. Well, while this goes on, I have somebody walk in front of me, and I, and I say the I have a dream speech. Okay, Coach, it's without question one of the highlights of all of our parties. People crack up. People follow me around the neighborhood as I say it. Okay, and I'm going to do that today. Four score years ago, I'm going to start. So right when we hang up, I'm going to do it, Coach, just to let you know. When our fathers, or what is it, sit, sit, our brothers can sit at the table. Well, there's there's a bunch of those. Uh, it, it, it's a it's a long speech. Uh-huh. The end of it is absolutely phenomenal, coach. That's that's where it ends up getting really good. But the beginning just basically talks about four score years ago, a great American in whose symbolic shadow we stand signed the Emancipation 
proclamation. So I can't really see right now. I got to get it blown up. Yeah. I need my glasses. I hear you. So I, I, I don't know you. if I could do it today. But I might be able to do it tonight. We played clips of uh, Martin Luther King on, on some of our old radio show. It doesn't matter what he's saying, and I, I don't mean to say what he's saying it doesn't have tremendous content because it did, but just the way he speaks, his vernacular, and the way he said it. He could have been reciting the alphabet, Big Dog. He'd get me motivated. And then on uh, the night of April 3rd, 1968, he mentioned that communism might be a way for the African-Americans to, to go. And then the mm-hmm. next morning, he was murdered. Hmm. So I, I, don't, I don't believe in communism. Just let you know, he somebody else totally doesn't believe in it either. He mentioned it, and the next morning was assassinated. Just throwing it out there. Mm-hmm. All right. So well. just, so people know, just so people know that. Okay, well, let's all take a little bit of Martin Luther King and all the good that he stood for and bring it into uh, not just today, but each and every day, Big Dog. Real quick, the uh, Chicago Cup Convention over the weekend, Dog, any highlights there? Alfonso Soriano getting booed and uh, Theo and Jed and the rest of the troops meeting the beloved Cub fans. Soriano got booed? Yes, he did. Thank goodness. And he kind of deserves it, Coach, because for this, the guy – sits around and smiles and laughs and jokes when the Cubs are losing 12 nothing. he hits a home run. I hate that. I, I, that's, I, I have not liked that guy since he's been a Chicago Cub, and, let's, and I'll remind everyone he's had two good months in Chicago Cubs. September of 07, which drove us to the playoffs. Thank you, Soriano. And he had a good month in 2008, too, other than that, he's done nothing. Running out of time. Give me five seconds on the new proposed bleacher patio in right field. Absolutely love it. It's a phenomenal idea. I struggle with it. We'll talk tomorrow. Big dog, be good. Have a uh, happy Martin Luther King Day. If you can tape your speech, we'd love to play some of the highlights on tomorrow's show. Okay, uh, I'll be happy to do that, Coach. Nothing better than a white guy looking for work in Aurora giving us the Martin Luther King Day speech. I have a, I have a job, Coach. I'd, I, I know you have a dream. I'd love that you have a job. <laughs> I have a job. All right, see you tomorrow, dog. Have a great one, everybody. Two guys at a mic, talkzone.com. We'll see you tomorrow at 10 o'clock. Don't be late.